So we've been, um, we just got done, if you didn't know, putting the next lectionary um, reading plan together so that we'll have it come December when, this, that's what it looks like, come December when um, the current one runs out. Those are the daily readings if you want to read along with us in the church, a uh, different scripture each day and a different psalm or part of a psalm each day. It took more work than I planned this time because the year is almost over. And you're thinking, yeah, but we got another month and a half. No, we have one more Sunday um, for the Christian year. So we're coming up at the end of our Christian year. And the Christian year, if you didn't know, it begins every year in Advent. That's the, so like December 3rd, the first Sunday of Advent, is like our Happy New Year in the Christian church. Because we're, we, we run on the cycle of Christ's life. So we're preparing for his birth, and then Christmas is his birth, and then next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday, so we go all through the year, and then remember that Christ is on the throne in the new kingdom to come. And so the new reading plan was going to coincide with our scripture readings, and we based the reading plan on our Sunday scriptures, and so when I sat down to do the reading plan, I didn't even know what I was going to say today, and I had to figure out what we were going to say for the next, like, three months on Sunday, and, I, like, I already, and, and, and I sit down, and I'm like, all right, what are we going to do in January? What are we going to do in February? And then the Spirit got a hold of me, and so there was a certain point this week that I knew the title of the last day of November 2024's sermon, but I didn't know what I was going to say right now. <laughs> And I'm not usually that, that ahead of things. The Spirit got a hold of me. Like, I already know what I'm preaching in a year. I even gave all those sermons. This is the thing. I, it's like a spreadsheet. We even gave all those sermons titles. That doesn't mean, though, that I'm, I know what I'm going to say on July 14th, 2024, or what someone else is going to say if they preach a sermon on a weekend. It's just a general direction. Usually, um, sermon preparation and the Holy Spirit ends up taking us in entirely different directions, and so the title doesn't actually have a lot to do with what we say on Sunday morning because things happen and life happens and the Spirit moves. Take this week, for example. We're in a sermon series called Clean Slate. We planned it a couple months ago as an opportunity to explore our role as stewards in all of God's creation and how we steward the blessings that we've been given Today's scripture is from Leviticus. It's the first reference, actually, in scripture to a commandment from God to tithe. And so we gave this sermon the title, How Much is Enough? How much should I tithe? How much is enough? And I thought it was going to be easy. Like, we all know the answer, right? When we talk about tithing, what percentage of our income is enough? Ten. Some of you hesitated. <laughs> 10%, right? It's not a trick question because the word tithe literally means one-tenth. That's what the word tithe means. It comes from an old English word. So I thought my job was going to be really easy today. Like, hey folks, Leviticus says tithe 10%. Let's all try and tithe 10%. Cool. All right, let's go watch football. Amen. <laughs> right? Like that, that's all I thought I needed to do. But then I started like doing the sermon study thing and I read, never read books. I read some books, and I learned things, and, and the Holy Spirit showed up, and now I know it's not that easy. And so this, this is our scripture. It's from the book of Leviticus. It's the, the, the third book of the Bible. It's chapter 27, 
30 through 34. Like I said, this is the first time God commands us to tithe. These are literally God's words to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. They're also the last words in the book of Leviticus. Usually ends a book will end on something important. So here's what God says. A tenth, a tithe, of everything the land produces belongs to the Lord. That includes grain from the soil and fruit from the trees. It is holy. It is set apart for him. Suppose someone wants to buy back some of their tenth. Then they must add a fifth of the cost to it. Every tenth part of herds and flocks will be holy. They will be set apart for the Lord. This includes every tenth animal that its shepherd marks with his wooden staff. No one may pick out the good animals from the bad. They must not choose one animal instead of another. But if anyone does, both animals become holy, and they can't be bought back. The Lord gave Moses all of these commands on Mount Sinai for the Israelites. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes today uh, to what you would have of us, but most importantly, God, I hope that you, I pray that you, I know that you can if we would only allow you to open our hearts to what you would say to each and every one of us here in this room today. It's in your holy name we pray, amen. So if you didn't know, like, how many people read Leviticus like every day because it's their favorite book of the, right, So if you didn't know, Leviticus is all about the ways in which the Israelites could make sure that they were physically and spiritually clean enough to be in the presence of God. Like in the final verses of Exodus, so this is right before the book of Leviticus, this is the last bit of the book of Exodus, we learn that the Israelites had built the tabernacle, it's kind of like a portable tent for meeting and worship, and then the glory of the Lord descends on that tabernacle and because of God's glory because of the sheer holiness of that moment and that place we read that Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it the glory of the Lord filled the holy tent he could not be near God because he was impure his spirit and his body were not fit to be in God's presence we read in multiple places in scripture of how if you were to walk into God's presence his sheer holiness and your sheer notness (laughs) you might perish and so the Leviticus then picks up right after Moses can't be in God's presence Leviticus picks up and begins to outline all kinds of purity laws, how to give a proper offering, what to eat, what not to eat, how to stay clean physically, how to keep your heart pure, what to wear, what not to wear. Hint, don't wear polyester. Essentially, Leviticus is giving the Israelites a means by which they might come near to God. They might once again be in God's presence. And so knowing that, I begin to hear the lines a bit differently about tithing in Leviticus. Like, how many of us, when we think of the word tithe, we just think, oh, that's how much I put in an offering basket on a Sunday morning. That's what tithe means, what I put in the basket. But here in Leviticus, when we first hear this call to tithe, it really just means a tenth. Like, give a tenth of the grain that you get from your soil. Give a tenth of the fruit. Like, if you pick ten apples, how many apples do you give to God? I'm looking at you math teachers. One, (laughs) right. 
One, you give one-tenth of your apples. If, if you have ten sheeps, how many do you give to God? One. The things that God made back during creation, they come from God. So we give a tenth of that back in thanksgiving and in recognition of God's holiness. By doing so, then those Israelites, they're helping to right their relationship with their holy God by mirroring what God has already done for them. And so then in the next book, in Numbers, in the next book in the Old Testament, we get a sense of what then happens with those tithes because we learn that the tribe of Levi, you might have heard of the Levites, they're kind of in charge of the temple. They're God's kind of holiest tribe in Israel. They're this tribe of Israelites who God set apart to oversee the tabernacle and the holy rituals that God commanded. And this is an agrarian culture, which means that most of the Israelites make their living off the land. What they have is what they eat, right? What they, what the, the, the milk that they milk from the cow, they, that's their milk. That's what they drink. They better drink it or else it'll go right. Yeah. So that, that's the society. But the Levites, because they were in charge of the temple, had no land. And if you have no land, it means you have no food. It means you have no milk. It means you have no funds. And so God commands that the Israelites then, when they give a tenth to the temple, that tenth goes to the Levites to help those who are in charge of their spiritual life to, to, to subsist and continue on. Number tells us that a portion of those tithes will go to the Levites, but then also, this is the crazy part, the Levites then give a tenth of the tenth that they got from all the other tribes. And a tenth of a tenth is a what? One hundredth. Thank you. Blue Springs math students are in good hands. And then the next book in Scripture, the book of De we're doing like an Old Testament survey. The, Old Te the next book of Deut the Deuteronomy, the next book in the Old Testament, it goes on to describe a situation in which that tenth, that tithe of, tithe of produce and of olive oil and of livestock is to be held back on festival days. This, that's my best favorite tithe because that's the tithe that you get to eat in the presence of God. It's like hold back a tenth and then go to the temple and eat it. That's a, that would be awesome, right? That's like a bake sale, huh? So... Then every three years, too, there's another tithe. Every three years, a tenth of everything is supposed to be held back to give to the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the foreigner, and again, the Levites. And so you might assume, as some biblical scholars do, that there actually are three different tithes commanded in the Old Testament. And if you do the math, there's the temple tithe for the Levites, the festival tithe, and a charity tithe. If you do that math over the course of of, of seven years, it ends up to being about 20% of your income every year that you would give as a tithe, which is just bad math because a tithe equals how many? One tenth. A tithe means a tenth. It's not 20%. How could 20% be a tithe? It's all a lie. What's happening? And if you're, this is the best part. This is why I knew Jesus' ancestors were smart because they, they didn't farm. They were carpenters, so they didn't have any animals. They didn't have any apples. They didn't have any sheep. So they didn't have to tithe, right? Because it's all about the grain and the animal and the fruits, and they don't have to, to tithe. And then, like, do you get a free pass? And then I'm like, wait a minute. Is this just a farmer tax? Like, come on. Like, you're just taxing. And then I'm like, that's why there's no more grain in Grain Valley, because we didn't want to do the tax anymore. And that's why now they do the housing thing, which is a mess. But, because that's what we grow. <laughs> and then it got 
complicated and, and frustrated, and I'm just trying to figure out. And this is my favorite one, though, is like, did you hear the line? It's in Leviticus. Every tenth animal the shepherd marks with its, with its, with its staff. So that means as, you're, as you're, your animals are coming into the pen at night, and you're like, one is the count, the count from Sesame. One, one oxen, two, two, right? And if you get to ten, then that tenth one goes as a tithe. And then when you get to 20, how many ox, oxen are you tithing? Two. But if you have 19, how many are you tithing? One. Hey, wait a minute. Like if you're the guy with 20 oxen and your neighbor has 19, you just tithed one-tenth and your neighbor tithed one-nineteenth. That's not fair. <laughs> right? Like what gives? Like I thought it was a flat, what, who was that? Ross Perot back in the day? Flat tax? Everybody's supposed to give the same percent unless you only have 19 oxen, and then it doesn't, it doesn't work. So it, it, I, literally, now the sermon title makes sense. Like, how much is enough, God? Is it 119th? Is it 120th? Is it 110th? What is enough? I'm just trying to figure out what the Bible wants me to give to God. And really, it's a larger problem with us in Scripture. Like, that's the, that's the trouble with Scripture, because Scripture is not a how-to manual, as much as we want it to be a how-to manual, even though we want it to tell us exactly who we're supposed to be and exactly how we're supposed to do everything. We want to flip to the page, and we want it to say, sing, Jesus loves me while I wash my hands, and then I know that's exactly how long I'm supposed to wash my hands, according to the book of Leviticus. It's not. I teach this to our confirmands every year. Like, does the Bible tell us exactly how we're supposed to share communion? No, it doesn't. It doesn't tell us exactly how we're... That's why different denominations, different congregations might do it differently. It just tells us Jesus told us to do it, and he told us to do it with bread and wine, and then the disciples did it. That's what we know. Does the Bible tell us exactly who and when and how someone is supposed to be baptized? No. It just tells us that Jesus was baptized. And then Jesus told us to baptize people. And then people were baptized by the early disciples, sometimes whole households at a time. It's not a how-to manual. And it doesn't tell us exactly how much we're supposed to put in the offering plate. I see our generosity team getting nervous at this point. We just get story after story of the generosity of God and how the Israelites and the early Christians and us are called to respond to God's generosity with our own. I think we kind of hang on to this 10% number because it's easy and it gives us a goal and it makes things concrete. And that can be really helpful, especially if you're starting out from nowhere. Like, what do I even do? That's a number, and it can help. But then sometimes, does anybody do this? You begin to haggle with God, like with the 10%. Like, now is that 10% of my gross, God, or is that my net income? And does the whole 10% go to church, or can I count my donations to like Caleb and World Vision and the Humane Society and all the subscriptions on my phone that I forgot my have because I'm not actually using the service. So really, that's a donation, too. And... My kids, they're costing like an arm and a That is charity right there. <laughs> My child is a charity case. <laughs> and, and I can't, can God really expect me to tell Susie, no, I'm sorry, you can't play soccer this year because God needs his take. Like that's not going to help her faith in the long run. God told me I can't play soccer. Like that's not helpful. 
And have you seen how high rent is these days? And don't get me started on inflation. 10% would mean not eating. Giving 10% of my income might mean I get evicted. Or did you see how much I made last year? It's a lot. Like 10% of that would be way more than anyone else is giving. That's hardly fair, is it? Like I gave two cows and my neighbor gave one just because he had one less cow than me. I'm sure the church would be more than happy with one nineteenth of what I made last year. That's really, and where's the joy in all of that? Like where's the glory of God in all of that? So often then we just make tithing just one more thing we got to stress and fuss about. And who are we kidding mostly feel guilty about it's just one more transaction on an ever-increasing number of monthly transactions that we got them it's just one more subscription service that we're paying it's just a necessary evil which was never ever what god intended i mean the whole tithing thing started as a result of god's glory and holiness for pete's sake so what god and what did god intend for christians when it like peter when it comes to an offering with our local congregation that starts to be the question with our church home is it supposed to be 10 percent? are we supposed to put 10 percent of our baby pigs and cucumbers and that would be a really cute offering by the way <laughs> or was that really just for farmers back in the day and not for us and so god just tell us how much is enough how much am i supposed to tithe well, at first, this guy, John Cortines, he, he didn't even ask the question how much. He just assumed it was 10%. And so he always gave, he was a good kid, he always gave 10%. It was automatic. He didn't think about it. He took it right from the top. He was doing pretty well for himself, and he had planned it that way ever since he was a kid, ever since middle school, because ever since he was in middle school, this is a weird kid, he loved spreadsheets. And he made spreadsheets for everything. Like his dad was a business person. He'd travel and he'd bring home change and he'd give his son change every time he came home. So he had a change jar and he says, I would take the change out of the jar every week and work on my spreadsheet of how many nickels and pennies and quarters and dimes I had. And I would make my spreadsheet and it would total it up at the end. And then he started to make a spreadsheet of potential jobs in middle school. He wanted to know what job he could get that would pay him the most amount of money for the least amount of, that's total middle school, the most amount of money for the least amount of work. And so he researched, he created key criteria, he loaded it all into his spreadsheet, and he came up, kids, if you're listening, with petroleum technician. That was going to give him the most money for the least amount of work. Petroleum technician. And he followed through on it. From middle school, he organized his classes in college, high school, and then his classes in college and his coursework. And the next thing you know, he ended up getting married, landing his dream job, graduating college, earning six figures, opening a bank account, living in Texas with the oil fields, and his banking password was no joke, I think he's changed it now, was retire at 40, <laughs> exclamation point. And he still tithed 10% every month. And he went to church every week. It was automatic, without a thought. He just did it. 
But once he was out in the oil fields, this guy is smart. He learned that he could make even more money, even less time, with even less work if he accepted a position overseas and worked in the oil fields overseas. In fact, he could earn about four times as much and depending on the country, spend half as much in living expenses. Then he could retire four times earlier. So he went back to his spreadsheet, he puts in the numbers, and he figures out that you, there's two ways to get overseas. One is to put in 10 years, and then, then you've learned enough. Or you could apply for an MBA program through your company, and it would fast-track you, so in four years you'd be overseas. That's even less work, right? Four is less than 10. And so he makes it, and he's going to Harvard, he's getting an MBA, and he meets a lifelong friend at a Bible study named Greg Balmer, and they take a class together through Harvard Divinity School. It was called God and Money. And their worlds were rocked because soon they learned, just like I did this week, just like we did this morning, that God never mandated Christians to give 10% of their earnings, their net, their gross, or otherwise. Zeke really wants to give 10%. I think that's what it is. He's like, no, you can't change the gospel. This is what I thought it was. But being a good spreadsheet, logical thinking Christian, they ask the question, well, if it's not 10%, how much are we supposed to give? We need a number. How much is enough? And they learned, like others before him, like us today, the uncomfortable truth, the much more complicated reality that they'd been so focused on what they were supposed to give that they never asked why they were giving. They asked the wrong question. You see, it's not about what we should give or how much we should give. That's not what's most important. The most important thing is why we're giving. And they learned from Jesus and from the Apostle Paul that the why of giving, the reason we give an offering to our congregation is a response to God's grace so that we might deepen our relationship with God. So like the Israelites standing outside the tabernacle, it's a way that we can participate in what God is already doing. And in so doing, we might draw closer to God, just like those Israelites wanting to be closer to God. Tithing, no matter if it's one-nineteenth or one-tenth or one-fifth or more, is an act of worship and thanksgiving and of praise. Sharing ourselves willingly allows us to participate in the good work that God is already doing, right? And people notice when we're doing that. God notices when we're doing that. You can, you can worship of yourself and give of yourself and be a part of the God work that God desperately wants for us to be a part of. That's why we started passing baskets again after COVID and a lot of people are stopping. We decided, no, because it's an act of worship, just like singing and prayer and reading scripture. It's another opportunity for us to praise God. Some of us give weekly, some monthly, some annually. And so that, that's mostly just the rhythm of the banking system, right? So that's also why we encourage you to put that white, the connect card in there so that every week you can participate in that. It doesn't have to be a tithe. It doesn't have to be a pig. It doesn't have to be some olive oil or some money, right? It can be your heart that every week I'm giving a part of who I am to what God is inviting me to be a part of. Just by offering something of ourselves in response to a God who offered his own son for us. 
And so the more that John and Greg learned by diving into the scripture, the more the answers to their questions, how much is God asking us to give, became clear. You see, once again, they they were answering the wrong question. If all of this is from God, and if all of this is a blessing on us, then none of this is ours. And so really, it's not about how much am I supposed to give back to God. The real question is, how much should I keep? John and Greg said that was a radically freeing question, that it changed their whole lives because tithing stopped, become, stopped being an automatic 10% unconscious thing, but it became a conscious, thoughtful, grace-responding act of worship for both of them. And they found joy in being part of God's mission, turning their focus from what I want to what my neighbors need. So like I said, we, we planned this sermon series I didn't think the question we'd be asking was how much should I keep, otherwise that would be the title of the sermon. I, I got it wrong. <laughs> what I get for, that's kind of what I get for planning ahead and making spreadsheets of sermons. <laughs> it never ends up, the Holy Spirit hops in and you never end up where you thought you'd be. The Holy Spirit tends to have other plans with us, like John. So his whole life, from middle school on, he's all about maximizing profit for the rest of his life. And now he said, now I found my, I never made it overseas. I work in the nonprofit sector. <laughs> I worked for a non-for-profit company <laughs> when my whole life was about how much profit <laughs> could I make in the shortest amount of time. I'm inspired by that in a way as I think about my giving for the next year that I can do it with a clean slate. That's why our, our pledge cards this year, they don't have any information about last year's giving. It's not like, how can you increase? How can you this? No, we get a clean slate. So instead of asking how much is enough this year based on how much was enough last year, we can ask how much should I keep and how much can I give to what God is doing in the world? I'm going to try to ask that question, and I invite you to try to do the same as we join together to do good things in this community where God has placed us. You're doing that already, and thank you. Amen.